With all due respect to Christmas, for a Kentucky boy, this is the most wonderful time of the year. And, and it's not, not that we won the other night, or that I was there, or that it was one of the greatest moments of my life. It's just in general, March Madness is just fun. It's fun. And it reminds me how much I miss coaching basketball. Now, I, I enjoy coaching track, and, and the preparation goes into it, but once a race starts, it's, it's kind of just like, run. Like, there, there, there's no cut him off, or trip him, or anything like that. You just, you just have to run. But in basketball, every single play is whose game plan is going to, to win. You try to plan to exploit the other team's weaknesses. You try to plan to limit their strengths. It's, it's this battle. Every single uh, possession, that, that's just great. And I, and I miss it, but I love watching it. I love watching really good teams who can game plan and just impose their will on the other team. That's what the best teams do. But it all starts with a scouting report. It all starts with someone sitting down and watching film of that team and understanding their tendencies and understanding this is what we need to do in order to beat them. And today we started a series called Breaking, and we're taking a look at sin. Now I know what you're saying. This is church, right? Don't you take a look at sin every week? Well, yeah, a little bit we do, but that's kind of the point. Two things happen when you hear something over and over. Either it gets ingrained in your head or it becomes white noise. And the fear that we have is maybe we hear and talk about sin so much that we get to the point where sin loses its powerful, it loses its potency, it loses the impact that it has on our life. And so we wanted to have a series that reminds us this is what sin is and this is what sin does. And then on Easter, we want to tell you this is what God did about the sin problem. So today I want to give us a scattering report of sorts on sin. And the title of today's sermon, it is intentional, but I want to make a a very clear point. While we're alluding to this television series of the same name, we are in no way, shape, or form condoning you to watch it. There are times that we come here and we talk about a book or a movie or a TV show and say, you can go and check this out for yourself. This isn't it. This is a series, and the reason we're doing it is it is a series that depicts the decisions that one man makes, the sinful decision that one man makes that destroys himself, his family, and his community. It's a dark series because sin is a dark thing. But in one of the first episodes... The whole gist of it is a man who is is cancer-stricken, is worrying about providing enough finances for his family, and so he decides that he's going to undertake some illegal activity in order to make money for his family. And he approaches someone else about getting in a partnership with him, and, and that person replies to this man who until this point was a pretty good, upright citizen. And he says, what makes someone like you want to break bad? And to be honest, we don't like thinking about sin like this, do we? We don't like thinking about every sin as breaking bad, as breaking off, as ceasing to be a good person because we decide to do one thing or another. But then we forget what sin is. Every sin that we commit is telling God that we're choosing something else over Him. Every sin that we commit is telling God that we're choosing something else over Him. Be it popularity, be it uh, what, 
we think we need to do, be it uh, uh, something that makes us feel good, whatever it is, every single sin, big or small, and for those listening on the podcast, I use quotations on that one, sin is sin, which means every sin is us telling God, I choose this over you. I choose this over what you think is best for me. Sin is real and sin is dangerous and sin is powerful. And so today I want us to look at what Scripture has to say about sin and how it works. I want to give you three lies that sin tells us. And by all means, they're not everything. They're not all-encompassing. But I think they're probably the three most common. And I want you to know something today. I'm not holding a magnifying glass up to you. That's not my goal. My goal is to hold a magnifying glass up to sin. I want us to look at it and how it works so that we can be better prepared to try to avoid it. The first lie that sin tells us is that it says it's not that bad. Sin tells us it's not that bad. On Tuesday will be eight years since I started dating my wife. So, yeah, that's right. Eight, eight years since I started. There's nothing on my hand. Facebook told me. Um, the, we, April 1st, we, we started dating. And then that next fall, she was still, still here at Western. I had a lot of friends here who went to Western. And so we made a big weekend. It was going to be fun. We were going to hang out. We were going to play basketball. We were going to go to the football game. Uh, and, and we were just going to have a, a really good time. But the first thing up was basketball. And so we got together and went over to the Preston Center. Had this big co-ed game playing. Now, those of you who know me know I'm kind of competitive um and you all don't see me try as how competitive i get when i was trying to impress the girl that was really cute so i got really super competitive in this game uh it wasn't the most christ-like of games that i've been involved in there was some pushing and there was a couple hard fouls so someone wouldn't score on me and then there was a point where i was going down the court and i went for a layup and this kid comes and just smacks me across the face. You know, my pride says it's because he couldn't reach the ball because it jumped so high. But really, he was probably just trying to hit me. And so I come down. He actually calls a foul. And we go out to the front. And I go to check it up. And I throw in the ball. And everybody stops. And I was like, now, now you throw it back to me. And this is how it was. Do your face. And I was like, what? And then I looked. I had blood all over my, my shirt. And... And I put my hand up. I got blood all over my hand. So I run into the bathroom. And, and I am bleeding from this guy hitting me across the face. I'm in there for 20 minutes before it stops. And then when I come out, everyone's gone. They didn't wait for the kid to quit bleeding out in the, <laughs> in the bathroom. But everyone is gone. They've left me. And I come back out ready to play. And I'm like, I've ruined it. Actually, I was like, Man, I don't get to impress Lindsay anymore. But uh, basketball is done man, this really stinks. And, and Lindsay's really, really great. And she knew that this was going to bother me for a really long time, eight years, apparently. And <laughs> it was going to bother me for a really long time. And, and she said, Jared, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not. And so eventually I came to grips with it. It's probably not that bad. Well, that night we all got back together and we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and we were, we were hanging out. And in that day, Facebook had just started, so it was cool. And uh, somebody took a picture and when I came back home, they had posted it on Facebook. It was that bad. I, had, I looked like Scar from Lion King. I had 
a cut. This guy's fingernail had cut me from here all the way down the side of my face. I looked terrible. But Lindsay kept telling me that wasn't that bad. Now, I'm not equating my wife to sin, and I want to make that very, very clear. (laughs) But sin tells us the same thing. Sin says it's not that bad. You can live with it. No one's going to notice. Sin says it's not that bad. Look at what everyone else is doing. You're nowhere compared to that. Sin tells us it's not that bad. But the thing is, it is. Number one, sin is the very reason we have a strained relationship with God. Before sin, everything was good. Everything was perfect. But sin came in and ruined that relationship. Genesis chapter 3, after man had, mankind had fallen, we see God Excuse me. <clears throat> in verse 21, or excuse me, 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God could not allow sinfulness to be with him. And so he expels man from the garden. He makes sure that man can never go back. Because sinfulness and God cannot coexist. And from that moment forward, everything that we know, every relationship that we have is is strained and is broken. It is breaking. Why? Because of sin. And so when sin says it's not that bad, it is. Just a couple of chapters later in Genesis 6, we see that God is grieved that He even made mankind. And every inclination of mankind's heart was evil all the time. When we sin, we hurt God because it is telling God that, no, thank you, we choose something else. Those of you who are parents, maybe you have had a son or a daughter who have told you that and you understand the pain and the hurt that it causes. God, our eternal Father, has a plan for us and every time we sin, we say, no, thank you. I'm going to choose something else. But that's the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God's the one that floods the earth. And the Old Testament God's the one that comes in and destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the Old Testament God. We have Jesus. And yes, Jesus makes a difference. Yes, Jesus restores that relationship. But it doesn't give us a pass to just keep doing what we're supposed to Keep doing what we want to do. Look back here in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. If we deliberately keep sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejects the law rejected the law of Moses, died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The author of Hebrews is very clear. If we say that we follow Christ and we say that we're a Christian, it doesn't give us an excuse to just keep choosing what we want. 
He's very clear. And look, look what he says. He says that when we do this and we don't care, we treat Christ's blood as if it was unholy. Translation, when we choose to just keep sinning and sinning and sinning, we tell Jesus your death was no better than anyone else's. It says that we insult the spirit of grace because we go to it and say, hey, thanks for what you're doing for me, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because you have to forgive me. Sin is a problem because it continues to break God's heart. And so when he says it's not a big deal, it is. But it's not just God's relationship with us that has caused all this pain. Our relationship with the world is, is broken. We see earlier in Genesis 3 that the ground is cursed because of God. And I don't think we need a reminder of how nature itself is cursed. There are people who are starving because they can't get enough food. There are people trapped and killed by a mudslide. There are tornadoes. There are tsunamis. And nature is affected because of sin. Ourselves, we're affected because of sin. We, we have disease and, and disorder, and we have pain. We have death. The relationship between each other is affected by sin because there's jealousy and there's anger and there's war. There's hatred. There's insecurity. Why? Because of sin. Sin is not a small deal. As much as it wants to say it, sin is not a little deal. It's a big deal. Don't let sin lie to you. It's the very reason we have pain, we have struggle, we have conflict. It's the very reason our relationship with God is strained and in needing of salvation. That's one lie sin tells us. It tells us that it's not that big of a deal. The second lie that sin tells us is that sin shows us what we want to see, but doesn't show us what's actually going to happen. Matthew chapter 4. This is a good example of this. Jesus is being tempted in the desert. I like to think of this as sin that sends you a postcard. You see these places that send you maybe, oh, no, no one sends postcards, an email blast or something like that that says, hey, come visit here, come see this, look how great it is. And this is what sin does to us. It convinces us that what we want is attainable and it's there, but it has a whole lot that we can't see. Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. There's the postcard. You're hungry. Here's bread. Here's a way that you can do it. But Jesus knew that this wasn't the whole story. Jesus is out there to be prepared for his ministry, prepared for the rest of his life. And to make bread at that moment would be to tell God that he decided that now he is ready. Not when God said he was ready. But Jesus sees through it. He says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus saw through it. Devil wasn't done. Chapter or. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, completely out of context, by the way, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Postcard number 2, sent to Jesus, says, You get to prove to me, Satan, that you are who you say you are. 
I think all of us at one point in our life would really like to prove to someone else that we are as good as we think that we are. Or we are as good as, as they told us that we're not. We, we want to prove ourselves. Jesus has an opportunity to prove to Satan that he is the Son of God. But Jesus understood this was just the facade. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to test. If I go and if I do this, I'm testing God. It's a sin. The devil wasn't through. Verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. I've got to say, this is probably the most alluring postcard sent to Jesus. Because on a daily basis, Jesus had to look into the eyes that he created and they didn't know him. Jesus had to know that the people he created were going to reject him, that were going to crucify him and kill him. And here's Satan saying, you can have their allegiance, their respect, and their love. But Jesus knew that that wasn't the whole story. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus understood that in order to do... be able to have this postcard, Satan was actually going to say, you're going to have to forsake God. You're going to have to follow me. Jesus was smart enough to know, to look and see what's the end result of these actions. He didn't just look and say, what I want is matching up with this is going to offer me, so this has to be the way I'm supposed to go. But Satan's not done sending postcards. Satan sends a postcard of the adoring look of a co-worker He's not going to send a postcard of divorce papers. Satan's going to send a postcard of you being the life of every party. He's not going to send you a postcard of you dealing with substance abuse. Satan's Satan's going to send a postcard with a corner office and a really big house, but he's not going to send you a postcard with you waking up on Christmas morning all by yourself because you put your work above everything else. Satan sends postcards of what we want to see, but not what is actually going to happen. We have to know that this is how Satan works and know that we're called to go and do what God wants us to do. Let me tell you what happens. When, we, when Satan sends us a picture of what we want to see and we want that to happen, then all that ends up happening is that Satan makes us into, sin makes us into what it wants us to be. Instead of getting what we want and to be what we want to be, sin makes us into what it wants us to be, and that's broken, and that's as far away from God as possible. Be careful. This is how sin works. It sends us really, really good-looking postcards. But it doesn't tell us about the traps. So sin tells us it's not good enough. Sin tells us or shows us what we want to see, not what's actually going to happen. And the third thing is that sin tells us that close is good enough. The word sin in the Old and New Testament is most often and most accurately translated missing the mark. There is a mark that we have, is a mark that is set before us, and God has told us that if we follow His will and do what He wants us to do, we hit that mark. But Satan makes us believe that the mark is just the bullseye. And there's a whole lot of other places where you can go. And as long as you're on the board, you're okay. Satan tells us that this long and this, this narrow road that leads to God actually has a few exits that you can take. 
and a few side roads that kind of go in the same direction. Satan tries to convince us that if we're close to doing what is right, then that's good enough. But the truth is that it's not. Anybody here know what geocaching is? Yeah, nerds unite. Um, (laughs) Geocaching is a worldwide scavenger hunt of sorts. Um, There are little trinkets, little uh, things hidden all over the world uh, that allow us to go and find them, and you write down your name. Sometimes there's prizes in there that you can find. Uh, but all of these things, they are, uh, they're hidden throughout the world, and you go find it. So nowadays, they're on your phone. Right? So you can just go to your phone, and it tells you where to go. There's geocache-specific app or uh, GPS system to take you there. But uh, us hipster purists of the geocaching world, we don't like that. We remember when we had to go on the website and figure it out ourselves. And so what we used to have to do is you have to go to the website. And I don't know if you noticed this. This is the church. And there's one that's in the parking lot. Right? It's hidden by Steve Briggs, Briggsy79. And this is where you would go and you would f- see, this is how I wanted to go find this one. And so you would find out a little bit more about it. You'd go and find the page and it tells you all the information. It gives you a description of what it looks like. gives you a description of what you're looking for. For the weaklings, it gives a hint on how to find it. And uh, I'm a purist. And... So it gives you all of this. But the key thing is the coordinates. Right? You see, north 36 degrees, west 86 degrees, that, that's where you're going to go. And back in the old days, you had to go and get a GPS. I mean, how old is it going to be if you had to get a GPS? But you had to get a GPS, the one that you had in your car, and you would go and you would upload these coordinates into the GPS, and it would tell you where to go. And so let's say we do that, and this is where the GPS is going to take us. All right, there it is. That is where the geocache is. It's in that light pole. Spoiler alert, right there in that little island in the parking lot. That's where it is. All right, let's say in writing it down or maybe typing it in, I actually got the 32 on the north coordinates mixed up and hit 23. Well, it would put me there. And, and that's still okay. Like, nothing would send a red flag that I'm wrong because I'm still in the parking lot. I'm still in the area, and so there's not that much there that that would throw me off. What would happen if I got the other two wrong? Well, I'd go in this guy's backyard, and he wouldn't like it. But (laughs) we would know that this isn't good. We would know that this isn't where we need to be because we know it's in the parking lot. But the thing is, they're not all in parking lots. Some of them are out in the middle of the woods. And in the woods, a tree is a tree. So you're going around and you may see a cl- cluster of trees. Guess what? It could be in there and you wouldn't know uh, any difference because you're following this and you're in the mo- woods, so you're in the area. But let's say, for instance, that I really messed up. And instead of 36, I put 63. If I put 63, I'm there. And that's most definitely not a parking lot. And that's... Most definitely not a parking lot. <laughs> when the GPS told you to get off and ride a moose, you would have a pretty good idea that northern Canada is not where I want to be. Satan changes the last two numbers. Not the first two. Satan doesn't come out and say, steal money from your work. Because they know that we would say, no, that doesn't make sense. 
What he says is, you can cut that corner, you deserve it. Satan does, doesn't say, hey, go bully that person until they feel really, really bad about themselves. Because what kind of person would do that? Satan says, hey, that is a really funny joke you should tell about that person. Satan switches those last two numbers to try to get us to think we're not that far off. And so we can't be wrong. But the definition of sin is what? Missing the mark. Or in this case, just being on the wrong side of the church parking lot. Sin tries to tell us that being close is good enough because it knows if we believe it enough, we're going to be far enough away. Don't let sin lie to you. It is that bad. It has a hidden agenda. It's going to take you farther than you ever wanted to go. And being close isn't good enough. We have to follow God with all of our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, and with all our strength. This is how sin works. So my prayer for you today is that you know that. I know that those of you who are here today, a lot of you have seen how sin works. You have seen through your life or the life of someone that you love how sin has tore that person apart. The reason we're calling this series Breaking is because we think that that's what sin does to us. It leaves us in fear that things are going and can get worse. It slowly eats away at us instead of leaving us devastated all at once because it just wants to chip away, chip away, and chip away. And some of you have seen that. Some of you have witnessed that firsthand. And some of you are in the middle of it now. You've got that postcard and you're having a really fun time. But there's something else that's going to come. And so today, in our time of decision, I just invite anyone who realizes this this is where they are to to come to a God whose arms are always open, to come and receive the, the gift of grace that God has given. Maybe you realize that you're tired of doing this by yourself and you want to come and join a church home that can support you and that can love you. We invite you to do that. Or maybe you just need prayer. If you just need prayer, we invite you to come forward. Weston's here. Some elders are here. I'm here, and we'd love to pray with you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the cross. The cross shows us what you did with the sin problem. You allow us to come to you. You allow us to have a life, uh, a relationship with you. But it doesn't mean that we're through dealing with sin. Scripture tells us sin is crouching, waiting to devour us. And it happens real quick. It's when we believe sin, when it says it's not that bad, or when we think that because it's what we want, it's what's right, or that even being close is good enough. Father, we know that your way is the only way. I pray that today we would not leave until we make a uh, resolution to get back on that way put aside everything the world values and focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward.